We only lost Glenn for a few minutes, but they are minutes I will never forget. It happened several years ago when my middle son was two or three years old. He, his older brother, and I were playing at the sandbox outside our apartment complex one Saturday afternoon. And as evening approached, we packed up the sand toys and headed back into the house. I got to talking with my oldest son about something on the way. And when we reached the front door, I looked back and Glenn wasn't there. I think most parents have some version of this story to tell. Glenn, I called gently, assuming he was just a few steps behind. No answer. Glenn, I called louder. Still no answer. I walked back in the direction we'd come from, sure that I would spot him, but he was nowhere in sight. And at this point, my pulse started to race a bit. Our apartment complex is sort of a maze of concrete pillars and alleyways winding around this large green area in the center. And I realized that he could be anywhere. He could be wandering down a corridor leading into the parking garage, or he could be toddling off toward the road, or he could be walking through the open door of another apartment building or the little grocery store nearby. The possibilities piled up in my mind and I started to run. I told my older son to head one way and I headed another, yelling louder and louder as I went, Glenn, Glenn. This was not a very well organized or calm search, I'm sorry to say. Everything else in the world faded into the background and there was only one thing that mattered in those moments, finding my son and getting him back home. Like I said, he was only lost for a few minutes. We found him sitting calmly behind a pillar engrossed in making a pile of pine cones, I think, completely oblivious to the search that was taking place. I think he just giggled when I said how glad I was to see him and into the house we went. We have parables of losing and finding today. These are some of the most well-known and well-loved stories Jesus ever told. And I think part of the reason is how easily we identify with them. Writer Catherine Schultz has a wonderful essay about losing things. And she cites data there shared by one insurance company suggesting that the average person misplaces something nine times every day. That might sound like a lot, but if you sort of go back through a recent day and think of how many times you've misplaced your cell phone or your keys, it might start to sound more believable. And if you do the math, that means that by age 60, you have lost up to 200,000 things. These parables are easy to connect with. We know what those moments are like when you lose sight of a child in the grocery store or the apartment complex, or when you can't find that precious gift that your grandmother gave you, or the bill that you were about to pay that you know you just saw. We know what it's like to be laser focused on the search, to want nothing more than to locate what's missing, to be utterly and completely relieved when it's found. There are any number of surprising and wonderful things to focus on and dwell with in these stories. You can wonder about the character of that shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep on their own so that he can go and search for the one who's missing. Isn't that a little reckless, a little strange? You can ask what kind of a person invites all of her friends over just because she found a coin. 
I mean, would you do that when you found your lost headphones stuck in the cushions of the couch? These are endlessly captivating images. There's lots to tend to here. But here's what caught my attention this time. Jesus says these are stories of repentance. After each one, he says some version of just so, I tell you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And that's more than a little strange, don't you think? Repentance is a big and important word in the Bible and in the Gospels in particular. The prophets of the Old Testament are always calling on the kings and society around them to repent. John the Baptist roared away on the banks of the Jordan River, proclaiming a baptism of repentance. Jesus himself early on declares that he has come to call sinners to repent. Contrary to popular opinion, nowhere in the Bible does repent mean feel really bad about what you've done and walk around like you're scum. It's not about feeling guilty and sorry. No, it's about making a change. The Hebrew word we translate as repent, shuv, means turn around. You're going the wrong way, so repent. Change direction. Stop walking in the way of death and walk in the path of life instead. The Greek word for repentance, metanoia, means something more like change your mind. You're looking at things the wrong way, so adopt a new view. See the world and your place in it differently. Those words have slightly different connotations, but both suggest repentance is about making a change. And that's certainly how the word is usually used. When John tells the crowds to repent, he gives them very concrete actions to take. Don't hoard extra clothing or food, he says. Give it away. Show concern for the poor. Don't take more than your share. To repent means to act differently, to think differently, to live differently, because that's what God calls for. It's something we do in big and small ways throughout our lives. It's a discipline, a task. That's how I think the Bible normally leads us to think about repentance. But you might have noticed that our parables today don't seem to have very much of that kind of repenting going on. The lost sheep didn't decide it was going in the wrong direction and turn around to take the path of life instead. No, it was just found. The lost coin didn't decide that it really needed to adopt a new mindset and look at the world differently. No, it was just found. They are like my son, who didn't change anything in his life that afternoon years ago. No, he just kept stacking pine cones on top of one another, and suddenly his dad and older brother appeared, huffing and puffing from the search. So where's the repenting in that? It's a strange little dilemma this passage gives us, and I think we've basically got two options. One is to say that Luke, editing Jesus' words, sort of has it wrong here. Jesus didn't mean these to be stories of repentance at all. Since coins and sheep can't change their minds or their directions, these stories are clearly about something else. They're sort of mislabeled the way we have them. That's one option. And the other is to say that Jesus is offering a different view of repentance here. Maybe it is not only about finding the right path. Maybe it is first and foremost about being found. I want to invite you just to think for a moment about a time in your life when you have felt lost in one way or another.
when you've lost your sense of direction or rootedness or connection to others. In a sermon on our text preached many years ago, Howard Thurman said that for the one lone sheep, being lost meant being out of touch with the group that sustained him, with the group that fed him, that gave him a sense that he counted. Being lost means being alone and adrift. Think of a time when you have felt that way. And think of what it was like to be found. I don't know just what that looked like for you. Maybe a loved one called or wrote or showed up at just the right moment. Maybe the right book found its way into your hands and reminded you of what is most important. Maybe you stumbled into a community that showed you that you belong. When we are found, Thurman says, all the world seems to fit back into place and life takes on a new meaning. Maybe Jesus is saying repentance is like that. Maybe that is the biggest turnaround, the biggest new mindset, the biggest change that's called for, recognizing that we are loved and we are known, recognizing that we are precious to God, recognizing that we are each like every other person, never beyond God's care and concern. Of course, other changes might be called for, learning to be more generous, growing in mercy, practicing forgiveness, living with a deeper sense of justice. That's right. But maybe the biggest change, and the one that makes all the others possible, is recognizing that we have already been found in the love of God. Just like us, those sinners and tax collectors Jesus is eating with may have plenty that ought to change in their lives. Sure. But first and foremost, they need to know they are loved. They are precious. They belong. They need to know they have a place at the table, that they bring delight to God. Jesus understands that. So he welcomes them. He dines with them. And friends, he does the same for us. He welcomes us. He dines with us. He looks at us with love. And when we glimpse that, when we glimpse that we are never alone, never adrift, there is joy in heaven. There is joy among the angels over that great repentance, that great change. The love of God is broader than the measure of the mind. And in that love, we are always found. Amen.